countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy Halloween from the last comic shop! And I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, joined by my regular co-hosts, Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And if you're wondering what we are up to this week, well, we're just sitting around waiting to hand out pounds of candy to all those spooky trick-or-treaters in hope of promoting some good old-fashioned tooth decay this harvest time season. Yeah, it's been kind of a slow night, though. I don't think they like the candy corn. Yeah, and who'd have thought those jerks over at the first comic shop would hand out king-size candy bars? There's no way we're competing with that. Uh, buck up, chums. You know, this peace and quiet is the perfect time to give all of our fans another blast from the last comic shop past by visiting our archives and delivering yet another previously unaired comic book review. Well, previously unaired on this show, at least. Exactly. But it's important that some of these terrific past reviews that many of our new fans haven't gotten a chance to hear yet see the light of day. And it's an excellent opportunity for us to be a little bit lazy and not have to read a new book this week. (laughs) Well, there's that too. But let's go ahead and open up the old vault and see what's inside. You know, I forgot we had a lounge down here. Yeah, you'd think based on what we used to call this place, it would have been up in the sky or something, instead of in the sub-basement beneath the shop. Ooh, I think I just stepped in something. Where's that archive of Rama 3000 anyway? Let's keep going. Well, it's over here. I thought that given it was the Halloween season, we could revisit that episode from a couple years back, which we reviewed Kyle Starks' Rock Candy Mountain series. Ah, yes, I remember that one. Ethan was on that show, and if my memory does not fail me, we had a top ten list of Halloween-inspired comic book things or other. Ah, spoilers! Save it for after the commercial break. Well, anyways, let's wrap up that old Archive Rama 3000 and revisit some Ghosts of Halloween past shows with this read pile review of Rock Candy Mountain! Because if there's anything that's going to scare off our listeners, it's going to be a read pile. We like to educate on this show and talk about real comic books. So... On today's program, uh, we've got some strong emotions about this book. I don't know if it's going to be one that's going to have as strong emotions as uh, Old Man Logan for J.A., but it might come close. We'll see. Oh, no, I think Old Man Logan is not being supplanted anytime soon. <laughs> not even with Venom Dinosaurs. No, it's just, it's, that's still the bottom of the, the dung heap for you. Oh, I was so disappointed. So disappointed. <laughs> if it just would have ended two issues earlier, it would have been fine. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't need to have the the Hulk issue. They didn't need that Red Skull issue. They could have just had him and uh, Hawkeye just driving off into the sunset. Yeah. All right. So what what book are we reading on today's uh, podcast, there, Chato? So we are reading Rock Candy Mountain, uh, written and drawn by Kyle Starks and colored by Chris Schweizer, who uh, liked the book so much he read it in the black and white version and. Uh, Pledge to help color it. Absolutely. It started coming out in uh, 2017. Okay. Uh, I want to say April 2017 is when the first issue was released. Today we're going to be talking about the first trade, which deals with the first five issues. Okay. And then uh, and the book went on this year to win the Best Humor Publication Eisner Award. Uh, this is actually something that I saw for the first time at a comic book shop, uh, Captain's Comics, down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, when I was down there pa- this past summer. It was on their uh, Picks of the Week. And I said, ooh, that, I, I kind of liked the uh, cover, and I thought it was kind of neat looking. Okay, so here's your 10-cent synopsis of Rock Candy Mountain. We're introduced to an ex-World War II veteran turned hobo named Jackson, who at some point makes a deal with the devil in order to gain the ability to never lose a fight with a single combatant. So as long as he's just fighting one person, he's always going to win that fight. Uh, Somehow this loses him his family, and he's riding the rails trying to find the mythical 
Rock Candy Mountain in order to gain them back. It seems he has to put together a gang in order to do this, so he's on, a, on his way to get some uh, helpers such as a cat burglar named uh, Hundred Cat, who is also an underground fighter like himself. Uh, also, there's a character called Big Sis, who has spent most of his time in the penal system just breaking rocks, so he is the best at breaking out of prisons. And finally, we're introduced to Hollywood Slim, who is a failed actor with pretty much the shittiest luck ever imaginable, who acts pretty much as the uh, audience surrogate, uh, kind of asking all of the questions that we kind of want to ask, uh, trying to learn more information about both Jackson and the hobo culture that Jackson lives in. While Jackson and uh, Hollywood Slim are on this quest to find Rock Candy Mountain, they're being pursued by the devil who wants uh, his pound of flesh from Jackson uh, for part of their deal. He's also being secretly pursued by some FBI agents who think that Jackson is in possession of some sort of ancient artifact that he picked up during the war. So we're going to go around and get some initial thoughts on this series. Uh, and I think we're going to start off with my buddy Chad. There you go. So uh, I like this quite a bit. One, I'm a big fan of the... The O Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Yes. I had that on repeat whenever uh, whenever that was released. I was a big fan of the song Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yes. But uh, another thing, too, is it's done in a very cartoony style, which I'll, I'll be honest, it took me a minute to get used to the noses. Mm-hmm. Because you have Slim with his very, like, square nose, and then you have Jackson, whose nose looks like it's been punched in uh, more than a time or two. I just like the whole, like, hobo culture. Yeah. And I don't know, like... At one point in my life, I found one of those clickbait articles, and it was like, Symbols from the Railroad. Yeah. And, like, all these things that uh, hobos and bums would scrawl in the towns they went to to let people know. And that's this book, each issue starts off with a different symbol. Uh, you know, at the beginning on the first page, like, oh, this is a good road to follow, or be prepared to defend yourself, or things like that that, you know, you could still see those markings sometimes when you go places if you look carefully, you know, around uh, train yards and, and things like that. So I thought that part was cool. I thought the story was fun. Uh, it messes around with a lot of the tropes that you're you're probably familiar with from like those O Brother Where Art Thou style movies where somebody sells his soul to the devil to be able to win any one-on-one -on -one fight. I thought that was cool. I'm always interested in neat power sets. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me of the Daredevil TV show when everybody was talking about the hallway scene. Yeah. This guy's power set is he can win any one-on-one -on -one fight, but if it's not one-on-one... -on -one, you know, that's not part of his purview. Right. So when he goes into prison, he gets... Uh, Thrown into solitary confinement. Yeah. So that he has to go, they have to go down one hallway. It's kind of like the hot gates in 300, where they have to funnel everybody through one small place and he can fight them. It actually reminded me a lot of the uh, scenes from Watchmen with uh, Rorschach. Okay. I don't know why. Like, because it was in a prison or something. Yeah. He was just going ape shit on a bunch of yeah. uh, criminals and things. I'm not in the prison with you. You're, You're in the, the prison, prison with, with me. me. Come on in, boys. The water's fine. But it also reminded me of Batman 66 at the very beginning credits when all the villains are coming and then boom, ow, and then you see Joker's tooth. Yeah. So in any case, Ethan, uh, what did you think of this book initially? The biggest thing that was off-putting to me about that um, the Rock Candy Mountain comic was the gra really graphic violence at the beginning where the devil was just like smashing people's heads in. It really just kind of offset me for the whole comic. I was like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> I agree, and 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 it was—it's it's not like the art is approachable. You need you need some time to get into the art. So, like page one, it's just gore and blood and guts, and I was I was wow. And you didn't know if that was a nose because somebody got it knocked out of their head, or that was a nose because that's how he was being drawn. So yeah, I had problems with that. Yeah, it was honestly like, what kind of book am I really reading? <laughs> what did y'all give me for this read pile? Where <laughs> it's like disgusting, free, bloody heads. It was it was hobo with a shotgun. Right. This isn't a tramp book. I would definitely agree with Chad in the fact that the book transported me to a different place, um, which I definitely appreciated. My daughter um, really likes um, Netflix show Spirit. It's a horsey show. At least it deals with the same time period. Kind of have the same art style, too. So it made me think of that a lot. Unfortunately, that was probably the best part of the story for me. <laughs> uh, I had a real problem with the devil. 
I found it way cliche to just to have the devil as your main villain. I think any time that anybody uses the devil as a villain, I think it's just kind of lazy, to be quite honest. Honestly, like when I was thinking about it, I really wish Jackson would have been Native American and really trying to delved into that kind of mythology, death gods and, and things of that nature, other than just having it be more Christian mythology. We've seen hundreds of times so my, that's at least my two cents all right ja over to you okay well the artwork it did take me a while to get into just like chad i don't know if i ever fully embraced it the story was at times there was some nice humorous sections i thought the um the violence was a bit over the top and unneeded and they could have done without it and it would have been a much better book i agree with ethan some of the sort of devil you know get your guitaring skills at the crossroads and become ralph macchio guitar wizard was a bit um cliche so the movie crossroads with ralph macchio and stevie by playing the devil in case you've never watched the greatest ever guitar battle committed to celluloid (laughs) i have never seen this movie you are on your own sir uh it is a thing so yeah, I was of two minds on this book. I, I really couldn't decide. I kind of, I really did like the writing. Um, I don't know if anybody picked up on the fact that his hobo stick, I think, is maybe the Spear of Destiny. Uh, I only kind of came up with that because he was in World War II. He probably was stationed overseas. He might have gotten the Spear of Destiny from Italy, and that's and it's only the the stick is the only part of it. Well, isn't it referenced by the um, the FBI agent at one point? She mentioned something about a spear. Uh, she definitely does. And again, I don't know if it's a Spear of Destiny, but that's like the biggest spear that I can think of from mythology. And it kind of makes sense given he was in World War II. Hollywood Slim, his, uh, the guy that we're the, the audience buy-in or the person that we come to kind of, because we can't really relate to Jackson. For the most part, we have to kind of go through Hollywood. I didn't care for his whining so much. And I was kind of happy by the end that he was leaving. Because I don't know, like he was like a sad sack that was just put upon him constantly by Jackson's uh, misadventures. His gimmick is he has the worst luck. That's true. I, I think by the end of the series, when he got his head shaved and everything like that, he just it, take, it took a step over the line for me and he stopped being an interesting character for me. I, I, I actually will say that the opposite happened for me with Jackson, where he was not very interesting at the beginning of this series. And by the time he gets to the prison, Uh, I was reading it just to see what would happen with Jackson next. He had the best lines. Uh, I I just pictured him being played in a movie by James Coburn from The Magnificent Seven with that squinty eye look. I was thinking maybe Steve McQueen, but I was kind of going with more James Coburn for me. As for the art, I kind of thought of it like as like uh, E.C. Seeger's Popeye comic book strip. It was very similar styling. And and the, the biggest problem for me with the with the art was that the backgrounds were gorgeous and it was just it was juxtaposed against these you know cartoonish characters which once you actually read the the footnotes and you see that there's two eisner winning cartoonists that work on this it's like oh okay well that makes sense why they went with the style uh so let's really quickly go around and get the grades we'll start off with chad so this book and the dive into hobo culture. And, like, I, I love the scene where they're going over, like, oh, he's not a hobo, he's a bum. Yes. Yeah. Tramp. He was a tramp. Bums don't travel. Tramps travel but don't work. Hobos travel and work. There you go. And, like, all the different distinctions. That was great. But, uh, but no, I... This is like comfort food where I really enjoyed all the cliches. Yeah. If that's, I I feel bad admitting that, but it's like all those different tropes, you know, the guy that sells his soul to the devil, the hard luck guy who can't catch a break and no matter what turn is going to happen, like, oh, you know, he gets head license. Every bad thing that can happen to Slim is going to happen to Slim. And I, I enjoyed the action, the adventure. I thought it was really fast-paced. I will say that the cartooning took me a minute to get used to, but once I was down and, and used to the noses. Yeah. The noses were the big thing for me. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I give this book uh, an A. Yeah, it's an A. Okay. I, I really want to read the next half. All right. To Ethan. All right. Well, I might be a fairly harsh uh, reviewer. Uh, basically because I've resigned myself to rate everything in my life on the Netflix DVD scale, uh, which is a five-star rating. Five stars is an A, four stars B, 
three stars C, four stars D, one star F. And then there's also not interested, which you basically lost that one in the mail. Uh, regardless, uh, this would be probably a three-star book for me, um, which unfortunately rates to that to a C. Like I said before, it was just it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was just kind of there. I agreed uh, wholeheartedly with J.A. on the excessive violence of the devil. It's kind of odd to see the cartoony style and then all of a sudden have really graphic violence of heads exploding. And again, uh, when I go back to the Christian mythology, I just think it's overplayed a little bit. When you can explore so many other races and other belief systems uh, that might be a little bit more interesting or a little less well-known, why not? you know, go down that aisle instead of using the classic, you know, mythology that everybody knows and has been done over and over again. Jackson is uh, okay as a character. Slim was okay as a character. He looked kind of trollish by the end. Like Gollum. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's almost like Die Hard where Bruce Willis loses all of his clothes. It was kind of like, okay, well, Slim's just going to look more and more like the circus freak as we go along. Yeah. I thought Big Sis was a better companion to to Jackson than than Slim was. But for so a C book for Ethan. Okay, J.A., what are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm about a C as well, maybe a C plus. Really? For some, for some of the writing. I like the, you know, I thought some of the dialogue was witty and funny and, and worked well. As Ethan said, I wasn't a big fan of sort of the over-the-top violence. It didn't go with the cartoony nature of some of the other stuff. Some of the tropes and cliches about, you know, sort of character origin, maybe that plays in with the whole hobo 1940s vibe that they're going with, you know, very sort of Robert Johnson, meet the devil at the crossroads. But um, I had trouble with the art. I, I got into it by the end, but it never really captured me. I really do like the coloring, though. I think you can tell that it was a book that was originally done black and white so uh, for somebody to come in and take what had been envisioned into black and white and add you know some really outstanding colors to it uh, I like the color palette so all in all you know enjoyable read if you gave me volume two I'd probably read it if I never saw volume two for the rest of my life I wouldn't think that I had you know lost out on on anything great I'm surprised, because at the beginning of the show, I thought you were going to throw out that hipster comment of yours about this book. Well, yeah, it, yeah, I did feel it, it, it was sort of like a, a, a bit of a hipster comment. Like cold drip coffee and a handlebar mustache. and. Let me put the Oh Brother Where Art Thou vinyl soundtrack on my suitcase record player and brew my coffee over a charcoal stove while I read the comic. Everything smells like sandalwood. We need to have furniture made of pallets. <laughs> Everything's picture. tubes. Bricks and tubes. It's all industrial around here. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this is a B. I'm going to take a step up from you guys' C book. I'm not going to go as high as an A with, with Chad. Uh, it was a book I did thoroughly enjoy. I won't lie. Like, the writing for me was good. I don't. I'm, a, I'm with Chad on the fact that just because something's cliche and it's been done all the time does not mean that you can't do it again well. I like the hero's arc of Jackson. Again, I probably could have cared less for Slim. Even though I saw the reason why they included him, he was the audience's in. He was the everyman that you kind of, you couldn't really relate to Jackson. But I was kind of glad to see him go. Because I think by the end of this book, Jackson had come to his own character. And I just kind of just wanted to see Jackson finish his quest by himself. I thought that in some ways, uh, Slim was kind of a boat anchor that was kind of holding him down. Although it was nice to see him be, Jackson be a little more compassionate. I love that scene where the guard beats Slim up. And then later on, he says like, look, I'm, you know, I'm a changed man. Back in the day, I would have like let this slide, but now you hurt my friends. And what do you want, a stutter or a limp? And I like that line so much. I really do. I have had a lot of friends, uh, including uh, all three of you on this show, where, like, if anybody messed with you guys, um, I probably would say that to somebody. So, yeah, I'll say a B. It probably would be higher if, like, again, I didn't 100% come around to that particular style of cartooning. And I even looked at it as kind of like Popeye from E.C. Seeger, and I still was like, Popeye looked better. 
And maybe I should have looked at it like Adventure Time, like Pendleton Ward's Adventure Time, because it had a very similar style to that. And maybe I should have never looked. Yeah, that's what I hear. What I hear. Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> well, that was a good review, right? I think it was. In any case, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with our top 10 list of Halloween related comic book superheroes who made our list from several years ago. Stay tuned. Interruption in progress. Now hijacking into ANS 2.0 Immersion Rig. Now simulating the Amazing Nerd Show. Featuring comics. <laughs> and Batman's like, you're safe here and everything, but the Joker all of a sudden pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Movies. People fight with lightsabers. What the hell do you want? I mean, you're every. I mean, in every one of these movies, there's a lightsaber battle. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm going to rewatch it a million times. Yeah. I'm just saying... <laughs> Give me something more. Wrestling. That would be awesome. Oh my god. Just a monster. <laughs> Fans would be like, holy, what the hell's going on? What happened to Jericho? Horror. It starts off like any other like home invasion type of story, and then it just goes crazy. And more. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And we are the Amazing Nerd Show. Make sure to download us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Great segment we wanted to do for a long time, but it hasn't been Halloween for a long time. So uh, this is our first chance to actually do it. And uh, it was to name, you know, our top 10 uh, Halloween-related superheroes. So these are superheroes, not just supernatural-related characters or just villains or whatever. I know in the 70s at Marvel, they brought in, like, Tomb of Dracula, and they had, like, Frankenstein show up and fight the Silver Surfer in one issue. And even Werewolf by Night. Did you know that Werewolf by Night's real name is Jack Russell? <laughs> like the terrier? You can't have a hero that's the same breed as the dog from Frasier. I mean, oh, I that throws me every time he shows up in a story, too. <laughs> they should just replace him with Man Wolf and been done with it. Man Wolf was John John Jameson. Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson's son, the astronaut, the hero. I was wondering, did he get his powers from a jewel? Like jewel a moon? Based. A moon gem or something? Yeah. Hey, can, can we include my shitty 90s comics, Evil Earth? Ernie and Lady Death. <laughs> I think they were anti-heroes <laughs> at the most. They, they were made by Coffin Coffin. <laughs> Anybody wears a hat like Slash. <laughs> if you're going to name a comic book company in the 90s, it would have to be Coffin Comics. That's right. Get that man some Robitussin. We don't want any Coffin Comics all over here. Uh, uh, no, but, uh, but, but there are honorable mentions that didn't make the list here. We had Etrigan the Demon. Which was a great Jack Kirby comic. It was released in 1972 uh, after the Fourth World was canceled. Uh, and then he made a lot of appearances in the 80s, I would say. In he the rhymes universe. all the time. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I guess. Uh, also an honorable mention to Damien Hellstrom, Son of Satan. Uh, I don't know how that person got made in, yeah. the, in the 70s. Uh, he had a pitchfork and the pentagram on his chest and... Eventually hooked up with Patsy Walker Hellcat. I, I it was kind of a weird pairing. Yeah, it's it's hard to sell an action figure of a guy with a pentagram carved into his chest. That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. Maybe a me, maybe amigo, but not an action. Yes. Figure. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to include Taro, the witch from the Black Rose, <laughs> just because I love me some cheesecake. Well, the uninitiated. It's Jim Ballant, the guy who used to draw Catwoman's cheesecake book. Yeah, it's I put all... it on my iPad once for five minutes. I'm like, ah! Who, who at the Halloween party is dressing up as Tarot? Uh, somebody's got to show up as that at that at that Halloween party dressed up as Tarot. Just I vote Chad. <laughs> I would pay to see Chad in a string bikini. Listen, I've worn costumes with less mystery, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That tick outfit was very form-fitting. And uh, speaking of some other people that actually are, are cheesecake for the ladies, the Incredible Hulk. I, it, what? Because he's wearing purple what pants. What's your idea of cheesecake for the ladies? <laughs> he just huge muscles. Also, is beefcake. 
That's beefcake. Like fine. Brutus the Barber. He's a beefcake, <laughs> not the Incredible Hulk. Oh, uh, fine. Some beefcake for the ladies. Uh, the Hulk, just a massive, massive man. <laughs> Next, you're going to say uh, cheesecake for the ladies, the thing. <laughs> He's in a speedo too. I don't a, know. He's orange and shit. I don't know. I know. I don't. We're missing the point. The Hulk works great when they use him as a horror monster. Then he does. Like was it the Bruce Jones or the most recent run? Al Ewing's book now, where he's it's more horror related. Yeah, the uh, un, unkillable Hulk. Whatever. The un, immortal. The immortal Hulk. It's the same thing as unkillable. It's fine. They're running out of ends. With the Hulk. They're like indestructible, incredible. What is it? The inevitable Hulk? He will come back. The amoral Hulk where he just doesn't care. <laughs> the atypical <Patient> Hulk. Hulk. <laughs> this is not your normal Hulk, The, the inconstitute uh, Hulk. He spends a lot of time in the bathroom. I do not want to go in after him. But are all Hulks the impotent? Impotent. I'm not an old man Logan. All right, let's go ahead and start off with number 10. Our true vampire on our list appeared, I think, in... Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 101. 101, one of the earliest comics I had as a kid, where Spider-Man, at the beginning of the issue, takes the, the potion, grows six arms! Yes, yes. And why does he do that? Nobody knows. Yes, Morbius, the living vampire, who over the years has gone from villain to anti-hero, back to villain to sad sack. Yeah, yeah let's almost... take a vampire story and make him less handsome and more whiny. <laughs> That's what the kids want. That's what we learned from Twilight. Do do you remember any other issues of Morbius with Morbius in them that, that stick out in your mind? Well, I remember the mid-90s Morbius. Yeah. When he was uh, part of the Midnight Suns. Yes, yeah, and I remember that. had the crossover and he had his own book. Yeah. He, he's one of those characters who's D-list, he stops and starts all the time. Wasn't there like a really famous uh, two-issue story with in Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, the Back in Blacks issues? Doesn't he go into the sewers and fight Morbius yes. in that? Was he in Maximum Carnage? Morbius was. He was yeah. in Maximum Carnage. He was also in the 90s cartoon series, uh, but they couldn't yeah. show him that's sucking what, blood, so I think he like absorbed people's energy with his hands. Oh, yeah. yeah like yeah, he was yeah. like, he just like I grabbed them and like suction cups with them of his hands or something like he was the leech from he-man there you go but it's funny because that was part of the restrictions and the only reason morbius exists was part of the comics code was lifted in the 70s that uh, forbade vampirism because they were worried all the kids were going to get hooked on sucking blood <laughs> yeah because that's that's the thing that you want to be worried about not drugs not you know um, premarital sex. They're going to all suck blood. We, it's gonna we be don't terrible. need these kids out there sucking blood. No vampires. All right. Well, let's speak of another person that was on the Midnight Suns. We're going to go to JA with number nine on our list, and that is a Blade. Yes, okay. Everyone's favorite vampire killer slash daywalker slash vampire slash Wesley Snipes action movie. Now. Yes. Of course. Taxpayer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Blade, of course, dates from the 70s, but we're not going to really talk about the 70s character because he had a different power set and he ran around with uh, wooden knives made out of sandalwood. We're going to instead focus on the Blade that was made famous by Wesley Snipes, who uh, was also the first Marvel superhero to make a movie that actually made money. Yeah. Some would argue the MCU doesn't happen without Blade. Absolutely, and I and I would agree with them. And it's crazy because everybody talks about how uh, Robert Downey Jr. came in and like he was in Iron Man, and then everybody like made Iron Man be Robert Downey Jr. I think like the same thing happened with Blade. They were just like Wesley Snipes came in, and they're like, "All right, there's our Blade from now on. We just got Wesley Snipes. So yeah. We just draw him in the comic books like but that." Nobody else cared because nobody gave a crap about Blade before <laughs> yeah. the yeah. Yes. This so, point is made. Thank you. Uh, one other little fun fact on the movie Blade. Um, Wesley Snipes was obviously cast in the role, but other people they were considering were Denzel Washington and Lawrence yes. Fishburne. Wow. Would you have rather seen any of those either two in the, in the role, G? No, I think, I think Wesley Snipes actually is good in this role. I would have been nice to see the, the villain in the film was originally supposed to be Jet Li, but he... Wow. 
opted to do Lethal Weapon 4, so instead of Jet Li, we were given Steven Dorff dead, and, and he's not even a... Yeah, he's one of the lesser of the Dorfs. The only, the only other thing that stands out on the three, uh, Triple H is in it, Ryan Reynolds was in the series, and also Tracy Lords. Alright, moving on. Uh, so up next, uh, with uh, 8 and uh, 7 on our list, I'm going to handle both of them, because they're pretty much the same character, except one was at DC and one was at Marvel. I'm going to put them in this order. 8 is Swamp Thing, 7 is Man Thing, just because I'm a bigger Man Thing fan, and this I also... Your anti-DC bias. Whatever. I think Swamp Thing is a more legit superhero. He's not as horror-centric as Man-Thing is. I mean, come on. Man-Thing burns people to death if they fear him. Like, that's he's a classic monster. I don't think Swamp Thing, especially after Alan Moore got Swamp Thing, kind of made him more of, like, the plant deity, god guy. I don't think he was really as much of a monster. I don't think he was really a monster to start with, either. If you read original Swamp Thing, Alec Holland kept a lot of his uh, personality when he became Swamp Thing. He was still, like, talking in full sentences. He was still carrying on conversations. He had love interests. He was a smart guy. So he was more human. And uh, if we're talking about Halloween and monsters, I'm going to go with the guy that's a legit monster, and that's Man-Thing, who didn't talk, just kind of walked around in the middle of the swamp just burning people. Uh, it was a horror anthology, really, which was what Steve Gerber was writing at the time. So, But I will say that the Swamp Thing issue, written by... Alan Moore, we've talked about it before as the character-defining book for Swamp Thing. Uh, the Anatomy Lesson, where you first find out that, like, Alec Holland actually died many, many years before and that the Swamp Thing was actually a plant. Uh, that had gained sentience in the swamp and uh, thought he was Alec Holland, but he was just a plant. Um, but yeah, I still love uh, Steve Gerber's uh, Man Thing so much more. I know you guys are going to give me shit about it, but that's... You're all up on Steve Gerber's Man Thing. Man Thing also came out two months before Swamp Thing, so you could say that Swamp that's Thing true. is just a ripoff of Man Thing. Yeah. They were both ripoffs of The Heat. <laughs> the Heat? <laughs> Sounds like a character from a Tick comic book. Remember? Apparently there was a Man Thing movie that came out in 2005 with a budget yeah, like of 30, made for TV. $30 million. It brought off a big whopping box office of $1.1 million. So I think... <laughs> All right, moving on uh, with number, what, six on our list. Uh, we've got Ethan is going to be talking about his favorite Keanu Reeves picture, uh, Constantine. Speaking of Swamp Thing, was introduced in the saga of Swamp Thing. He has credits by five different people, but I'm going to say primarily he was created by Alan Moore. Pretty much held up the Vertigo brand by himself. I believe that I'm the only person in America that actually likes the uh, Constantine movie. It was the best sequel to The Matrix. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) Except Keanu Reeves looked nothing like Sting, who the comic, the character was based upon. I did Um, not know that. John Constantine's a famous chain smoker, um, also a famous bisexual, and he's one of the few characters that actually has transcended television shows. He started with a the 2014 NBC series Constantine, where they had the actor Matt Ryan playing him. And then that show bombed, but then he started to appear on other Arrowverse shows, Arrow, Legend of Tomorrow, and again in the Constantine City of Demons on the CW Seed, whatever the hell that is. Is it the same actor? I didn't know that. Is yeah, it the same? It's the same actor. So he's uh, transcended the crappy television show that he was based upon absolutely sounds Uh, good he also has real-time aging it's unusual among comic book characters and he's aged in real time since his creation so he in 1993 turned 40 so that would make him what the (laughs) (laughs) he's still celebrating his 40th birthday let's just say that all right so we're now going on to number five on the list and it's our first with uh, J.A.'s time to be talking about Ghost Rider. Now, J.A., we should comment, which Ghost Rider are we talking about? Which one are you talking about? I'm not not talking about Nicolas Cage, thank you very much. (laughs) Are you going to put a a basket of bees on him? Yeah. Oh, the bees! Oh, the bees! 
believe Johnny Blaze is the one that Nicolas Cage plays. Comes from out of the 1970s in Marvel. Stunt motorcyclist who makes a deal with the devil to uh, save his father. Uh, it turns out it's Mephisto uh, because he can't have the devil. But um, I am not going to talk about that Ghost Rider. I believe. I'm going to talk about the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. This is the Ghost Rider from the 1990s when they brought the character back. Because... A, I actually had some of those comic books and read it, and B, it's just a more interesting character. So Danny Ketch, of course, is uh, born in New York. Him and his sister are attacked by gangsters. His sister is wounded. Uh, he hides in a junkyard. He finds a motorcycle that has a magical sigil on it, and upon touching it, he becomes Ghost Rider and goes and starts avenging people. His Ghost Rider bike doesn't look like the 1970s chopper, it's more futuristic. Um, and then the run actually went long. Volume 3, I think, ran like 93 issues, so that's a, that's a pretty hefty run on a book. Uh, and it has quintessentially the greatest gimmick comic cover of all gimmick comic covers of the 90s. So if you're talking foil or embossing or 3d or whatever forget uh, holograms, it holograms lenticular. lenticular yes wolverine claws through the file so you can see what's behind the cover nothing comes close to volume 3 number 15 of ghost rider it is a mark to share cover of just ghost rider's head with all the flames and everything and they were glow in the dark Yes. <laughs> I think every, every, every geek kid back in the 90s had that on a t-shirt because it was just so I, bad. I, I know you did. And I remember you got bringing that to the house and you're just like, turn the lights off. Andy, you gotta see this. <laughs> Look into my pen and stare. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and so I sat down and read Ghost Rider for the first time, I think, just based on that cover. Yes. So there you but go. he is the Ghost Rider that I remember more than Johnny Blaze because he was the Ghost Rider that was in... Uh, the new Fantastic Four mm-hmm. yes. on uh, Walt Simonson's run when uh, the Fantastic Four disappears and they replace it with Hulk and Wolverine and Spider-Man and that Ghost Rider. Yeah. So, uh, very, very neat character. Let's move on to number four on the list with Chad. He's going to be talking about his favorite Punisher character. That's right, kids. It's Frankencastle. <laughs> If you are unfamiliar, I'm going to start off by saying I'm not the biggest Punisher fan in the world. I think he's one of those characters, he'd be great for one movie and out. Because his story is that, the you know, guy with the giant skull in his chest that goes around and shoots people. Like, it's a fun mafia story for a minute, but after he's been around for a day or two, you just shoot him in the face. (laughs) Um, And so, for me, it was really cool... um, in the late 2000s, they had the knockoff Wolverine Dakin, on, under orders from Norman Osborn, go and slice the Punisher to shreds as part of one of Norman Osborn's first things on his list. And it was crazy to see him do it, and it was even crazier to see him reform a few months later into Frankencastle. And so, as Morbius, the living vampire, and the werewolf by night are there, and they put him together, werewolf by night is is warning Morbius. He's like, listen, you think this is a solution? This isn't a solution. This is an actual monster. Even the monsters are afraid of the Punisher, and they darn well should be. But yeah, so they stitch him back together and he goes and reluctantly ends up helping the the legion of monsters and they're you know traveling through the deserts and there's morlocks and there's secrets that they're trying to conceal from each other and it was just with a, a character like the punisher there are so many notes you can play before you have to just dive into the ridiculous and so this was them taking the punisher to a crazy extreme and of course by the end of the story he exacts his revenge on uh, knockoff wolverine he goes and he gets uh, the bloodstone and ends up getting pieced back together and becoming regular Punisher once again. But for 10, 12 issues, uh, it was just pure craziness. Frank Castle is Frank and Castle running around with the Legion of Monsters. Uh, and I loved it. That's a book I would actually read as opposed to most normal Punisher. Okay, absolutely. By the way, who's on Legion of Monsters? Uh, Werewolf by Night. And? Morbius. And? He was higher than Swamp Thing. Manphibian. Uh, uh, you wanted me to say Man Thing. I did. He's also on the list. Yes. I think also Living Mummy's on that group. Uh, Living Mummy, uh, that's a that's a deep dive in terms of this list. 
All right, so coming up on number three on the list is uh, Hellboy. But all I have to say is absolutely love me some Hellboy. Love everything that Mike Manola did with Hellboy. Uh, kind of bringing in all that, basically all that Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft stuff to the table. Kind of making it digestible for the masses, making it relevant again. I personally love Hellboy from the Ron Perlman movies. I love both of them, especially Hellboy number one. Um, if you're not a fan of Hellboy, uh, I would definitely recommend that you watch that movie. Uh, there's also some two animated uh, Hellboy movies out there. I think one's called like The Sword of Storms. Uh, they were done by stars, but they have all the cast that did the movies, did the voices in those two animated shows. And uh, actually, to be honest, they are much more even closer to the comic book than even the movies. So Hellboy with his right hand of doom, his whole surrounding cast, whether it's Abe Sapien, whether it's Liz Sherman, everything about that book screams Halloween, screams classic horror movie monster kind of mentality. And so I would have probably put him as number one, but I was kind of shouted down. So going on to number two, back to Ethan with the most boobtacular uh, entry on this list. Well, we got we got the hostess with the mostess, Vampirella, uh, and Vampirella is pretty much the Archie of uh, Cheesecake Comics. Everybody's seen a picture of Vampirella, but nobody's ever read an issue of Vampirella. Let's <laughs> make that perfectly clear. She's a comic book vampire that actually started out in September 1969. I was shocked when I actually was doing some research on this character. Thought it would have been a would have been a Rob Liefeld. I love adult things, and adult things are great. Character from the '90s. I think she was a takeoff of Barbarella, which was that famous uh, uh, Jane, Fonda. Uh, Jane Fonda film at the time, and that's why their names kind of sound familiar: Vampirella, Barbarella, uh, which Similar actually costumes. Yeah, and Barbarella actually started off as a comic book, I believe. It might have been even a, a quote-unquote spoof on that original comic. She was created by Forrest J. Ackerman, but it wasn't until the writer-editor Archie Goodwin uh, later developed her from being a, just a typical horror story hostess, developed her into her own leading character. Uh, lots of different publishing companies have had her, starting with Warren Publishing, uh, when we're back in the black and white. Uh, it was a sister magazine to their other horror anthologies, Creepy and Eerie. Yes. Um, and then it went to Harris Publications after Warren went bankrupt. And then most recently, it's been with Dynamite Entertainment. 2017, she was finally relaunched again, uh, written by Paul Cornell and then later by Jeremy Whitley. Yeah. Nice set. Nice set. All right. Let's move on to number one on our list. J.A., I was shouted down. I thought Hellboy should have been number one. Other people said there should have been some others. But who was number one on our list, J.A.? Spawn. Todd McFarlane's Spawn. Who in this room, hands up, had the first issue of Spawn? Everyone had the first yes. issue of Spawn. You know why everyone had the first issue of Spawn? Because it sold 1.7 million copies. Yes. I, I think I just changed my son's diaper under an issue of Spawn number one. <laughs> yeah. Not one that was in near mint, because that's going for like 70 bucks now or something, right? Absolutely. That was like the underlying idea behind the the comic book bubble that nobody kind of understood which was like you can't sell 1.7 million copies of a book and expect it to be worth something someday because it's all about rarity fantastic four number one is worth a lot because of its significance plus the fact that there's not many left out there with 1.7 million copies there are still a ton of good copies out no, on the market nobody was thinking about that in the 90s look at baseball cards you can buy the whole set of hills people <laughs> <laughs> are still out there all right so i know there was a lot of people that bought spawn number one but we're having ja talk about this because he bought more than just spawn number one he actually bought the series for a little while so ja what's the story behind Spawn. Well, just like it, this is going to sound a bit cliche because I think we've already spoken to it a couple of times today. Uh, basically, you've got the protagonist Al Simmons, who's a CIA black ops guy, dies, goes to hell because he's done a bunch of bad stuff as a CIA black ops guy, 
he's killed by the way. He's not, he's, he doesn't die. He's, he's murdered by you know somebody. Chapel. Somebody. Yes. Chapel. Devil crosses him. He makes a deal with the devil so that he can come back and see his wife. But you know when you make the deal with the devil, the devil always has a catch. Uh, so he comes back five years later, not right away. His wife has moved in with his best friend. They've had a kid. And then he comes back as a hell spawn, essentially, and his job is to go kill things and send them to hell. And, and then the whole yeah, series revolves around him trying to get his life back, his conscience back, and fighting hellish demons and angels who are coming to hunt him and cyborg monster enforcers. Yeah. Oh, that was a creepy issue with the ice cream man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, I have a question, a legit question. I remember, because I, I read Spawn up until they uh, jumbled the issue order. Yeah. McFarlane was like, oh, I'm not done with that one yet. Here, have issue 22 <laughs> instead. And I'm like, what? You can't just skip 21. Anyway, there was always like a clock when he used his powers that was counting down. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, I can't use up all of my spawn powers. Uh, did anything ever happen with that? Did his time ever run out? Or I don't know. I, uh, I think he, he he went through some sort of metamorphosis. And, and so that re- reset the clock or something. And then he became the king of hell for a while. Because he defeated the thing that created him. And, and he took over the throne. And, and this is well past the time that I was reading the books. And then so there was a new Butterfly plan. Spawn is the king of hell. <laughs> Butterfly. Now, I just uh, I just remember him having a face that was like uh, 10, 10 miles of bad road. Every time like, he'd, he'd take the mask off, it was just like, how could Todd McFarlane draw somebody more ugly like it was like his nose was like down where his cheek was and, like there yeah. seemed to be like flies all over his face he was like, deadpool before deadpool was deadpool unmasked by then uh no no because it's early 90s you saw his face is <laughs> yeah. early when the leader of your rogues gallery is john lake wazamo your face was gonna look like that <laughs> fresh off the super mario brothers movie <laughs> I'm going to dress like a big, fat-ass clown. That's how I'm going to get more. So the only other thing I want to pull out, tell me where you've heard this one before. This is after his first metamorphosis. Spawn wears a living symbiotic costume. While wearing it, the host assumes a dominant role over his suit. His shroud, spikes, chains, and skulls are all part of an organism bonded to his central nervous system. Nice. Did that include the cape? Yes. Because that was one wicked cape. Did he go run to the Fantastic Four and ask for a sonic blaster to blast it off again? Right, and then it, it became its own thing and, and, and made a movie that nobody else wants to be in. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's terrible. In any case, I think the best thing that came out of Sp- uh, Spawn, to be honest, from my perspective, is that Neil Gaiman eventually got to bring uh, uh, Angela as, that Ange- yeah, as over as, as yeah, Thor's yeah. sister now in the, in the current Marvel continuity and, and, and also i mean uh, the character the comic it really it launched and stabilized image so it did. you could say you could argue that image comics today wouldn't exist without spawn and all those creepy ass todd mcfarlane toys <laughs> oh i love those <laughs> and the hbo show wasn't half bad no it, it amazes me because everyone i knew the red comics has read spawn and nobody has stuck with Spawn, but at the same time, it's been going on pretty consistently since its inception. I know it's not one continuous run a la Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, but, uh, you know, Spawn has kept chugging along as a property, as a franchise. Yeah. And you, you bring up Image Today. Thank goodness there's Image Today and all the, the really cool, neat stuff, uh, including, you know, like the Walking Deads and the reflections on hobo culture that yeah, we were just reading. Yeah, Rock Candy Mountain. That's not here if it's not for Todd McFarlane. Absolutely. I don't know about that list. I don't know how that holds up. I'm, I'm, I've got an issue with Frankencastle. Me too. He's not high enough. <laughs> Why is he there? He's, everybody else is like this, you know, quintessential, classic, Halloween, spooky, scary superhero and or monster thing. And then this is a Frankencastle. It's, it's, it's a what-if story. We shouldn't have a what-if in no, our no, no. Listen, buddy. The Punisher is the worst. Mm. And what do they do? They go and they cut him up into pieces. And they Frankenstein him back together and make him the best. It's the best. <laughs> Well, you know what also is the best? The last comic shop. Hope you enjoyed this 
trip down our memory lane, but we've got brand new episodes for you starting again next week. Uh, it's not always going to be reruns, but you can make sure that you listen to every single new episode, whether it's a rerun or not, by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific website where you can rate, review, and subscribe to all that myriad of places where you can find our podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Stitcher and Spotify and Pandora and Amazon Podcasts and a variety of other places. And if you're out there, leave us a treat this Halloween season by giving us a five-star review. It's the best thing ever. And we promise not to egg your house. We might TikTok your house. TikTok? We just show up and make a video where people are dancing. I don't, when I was a kid, people tic-tac things. Yeah. Do you remember that? The dried corn. Corn. Yeah, well, we called it corning, not tic-tacking. Yeah, to the kids these days, they don't have they have the TikToks though, so it's the same thing. They're just throwing corn on little videos, I guess. But if you are into TikTok, uh, we're not there. But we are on other social media platforms like Twitter, where you can find us at Last Comic Shop, or Facebook at Last Comic Shop Podcast, or Instagram once again is at Last Comic Shop. And you can find all that and more at our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. What else can they find there, J.A.? Why, thank you for asking, Chad. They can find some nice merchandise. This week, we've got a really nice special on our Halloween-inspired Last Comic Shop logo t-shirt. Check it out. It's hip, it's fresh, it's spooky. You'll go batty for it. That's right. And it's the last chance to snag it. Again, it's only going to be available until Halloween. So make sure you grab it. It's a limited edition thing. Not be clearanced out like all the Halloween candy. Because <laughs> what you really should be focused on on November 1st is stocking up on that candy. It doesn't go bad. It's candy. You know what else is like candy? It's like going to your local comic shop. Don't know where to find one? You can always go to the comic shop locator, www.comicshoplocator.com, where you might find a copy of Big Rock Candy Mountain. Or maybe you'll seek out some classic man thing. Or maybe, just maybe, you'll take Don't a say Frankie Castle. Frankie Castle, because it's the best! <laughs> Well, you know, it also is the best, the last comic shop. And I got some of the best co-hosts in the in the world here. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm again joined by the wonderful Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And we hope you have a happy Halloween this year, folks. And until next week, stay safe, stay sheltered. And remember, we'll see you all this coming fall in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Was a 2021 Black Angus production.